Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to determine what the best movie is of any given year. This season we are going through 2002, and I'm your host, Mike Gravano. This is a special bonus episode because somebody realized we didn't have enough episodes to cover us through the holidays, and we are not going to be competing. We're going to just be hanging out, talking like friends, watching a movie. With me are my friends, Ryan. Uh that competing is in we're both automatically tying for first or tying yes. for last. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's up to you which one you'll tie for. And Greg. I'm only ever competing with myself, Mike, and I have yet to win. Okay. Masturbate much? way to be. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. No. Mike, this is an O2 bonus episode, so clearly it must be about The Pianist or Gangs of New York, two 2002 movies that are not getting their own episode. That are yeah, very those big. Are 2002 movies that... The fans are flabbergasted. Flabbergasted. Are not in the actual bracket. A bracket, again, cannot stress this enough, has 16 movies in it this year. <laughs> and you can't, but you no. can't watch them all. You can't watch them all. Hollywood sometimes in a, movie, in a year will release as many as 30, 40 movies. And so they can't all be in the bracket. No. Even when we double the bracket size. But no, we're not doing The Pianist. We're not doing Gangs of New York. We are doing Disney's 2002 Lilo and Stitch. Greg, what is your relationship to Lilo and Stitch? In the year 2002, I saw the movie Lilo and Stitch one time and said, (laughs) you know what? That wasn't perfect, but I thought that was pretty good. I liked that little little Stitch. And Lilo is a precocious wonder, and I liked the way it looked. And it like, it's, (laughs) it's weird to put it this way, it's kind of a relaxed Disney movie. And so it was I kind of I appreciated that about it. It didn't didn't work too hard. <laughs> and uh you were you were a young adult at this time. Oh was, yeah, I was, I was 21. You were a YA. So I was probably I was probably drunk as I saw it. Did you it. get an awkward HJ? <laughs> I don't know about awkward, but yeah, definitely HJ. Is there any other kind? <laughs> Ryan, I think I saw this your relationship. I'm pretty sure I saw this movie before. It's possible. With Greg Getting an awkward HJ. And, I mean, I don't want to copy Greg's... Just act normal. Greg's exact story (laughs) that I may have been one of the people to see this movie one time in 2002. But uh, that story might be mine as well. I do know that as, like, an industry-leading stock reader of film conversation, watching movies rise and fall, uh, much like the NYSE, New York Stock Exchange, thank you very much, uh, I I know that this movie's clout has risen a lot over the last 10 years of like a forgotten classic and fuck you if you don't like it um the, so that's the previous decade was emperor's new groove and yeah, then this decade yeah. was lilo and stitch um and I, I do want to make sure that chris sanders the co-director co-writer and voice of stitch is upset because now he's not stoked that his movie's stock is rising so much over the last 10 years he's very upset that frozen came out and everyone gave frozen credit for having two girls who were sisters. Mm. Oh, and, yeah. Because he kind of did that. And not Lilo and Stitch. Lilo and Stitch created having two sisters in a movie. So it's When you try to think about it, it's crazy how rarely that happens. <laughs> for sure. Um, and so, yeah, I like, and, you know, Stitch you see everywhere. I didn't know that there was four or five sequels slash TV shows based on this. Three TV series, three movies. <laughs> until I looked this up oh, wow. on disney plus just to watch the one single simple movie that i thought existed 
So that yeah, apparently, even though I was a little old for this at the time, there's a generation that is all Lilo and stitched out. Yeah, where where I'm mean, sure we've hinted around this throughout all of our seasons, but were you guys Disney kids growing up, and where were you in general in this era? I I was a Disney kid, and now I'm an adult who is a is a fan of Disney, a but Disney, not but you a, don't want to say Disney adult, but not a Disney adult, because when Those people say that, they mean something bad. It's like and it's like saying I like Jimmy Buffett. Like yes, no, not but you're compa- not a parent, hey? right? No, uh, but I, I was in my in my, my childhood a huge Disney fan, and like even though I was 21, I mean I saw this movie in the theaters. Like, does that give you mm-hmm. some idea of what it meant to me? Yeah, growing up, I think that uh, Disney was it. Like, you sort of got this impression that if it wasn't Disney, it was so much lesser than it was. Rockadoodle do. Rock-a-doodle-doo. doo uh, was a Don Bluth movie who was a defector of Disney, um, who did make Land Before Time and American Tale, but also some stinkers. Uh, but I like I knew that American Tale was not Disney and therefore mm-hmm. lesser than. Yeah. I, I feel like, and I think that this is sort of like how generations work, is that I as I aged out of Disney, Disney went away. They were like, well, right. wait, hold on. Ryan isn't all about this right now. Exactly, why, yeah. why would we even try? And then there's this, like, whatever the opposite of a renaissance is, like a de-renaissance. Right. And Lilo and Stitch is included in that time, along with a ton of failures, like Atlantis, Treasure Planet, Treasure Planet. Atlantis. Yeah. Oh, what surprised me is looking this up, because, yeah, I, we're, I, we're all the perfect age for the Disney renaissance to hit. It's the first movie I saw in theaters was Beauty and the Beast. And I remember my little mind being blown. Yeah, uh, That Tarzan is part of, like, the – and this is part of the good renaissance. It's basically 89 to 98. Yeah, I think Disney Renaissance. You can tell Mike's different age between me and Greg because yeah. Mike's a diehard Hercules fan, and that's like, whoa, yes. whoa, let's. That almost did. That, you're that, pushing that boundaries right now, me. buddy. Yeah, it's same with Mel Brooks movies. I think shows yeah. you what age you were because I'm a Men in Tights defender, mm-hmm. and you guys are not. Um, but we can all three agree that Dead and Loving It is shit. Yes. Oh gosh, it's so awful. Okay. It feels Thumbs like down. Leslie Nielsen plus Mel Brooks should be amazing. <laughs> but no. But no, you know what? Let's just stop pussyfooting around, take a quick break, and then come back and talk about Lilo and Stitch. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie. Everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! The directorial debut of Chris Sanders, who also voices Stitch, and Dean Dubois, who would go on to direct How to Train Your Dragon Together. Lilo and Stitch tells the age-old tale of mad science experiment gone exactly right, 
<laughs> the violent ass escapes to a backwater planet where two sisters are dealing with the death of their parents and getting used to the transition of sewing roles to that of parent and child. Part of Disney's experiment with making cheaper films, Sanders and Dubois got to fly under the radar in terms of script, tone, and animation style, setting it apart from other Disney films of the era. As two of the stars, Tia Carrere and Jason Scott Lee, were of Hawaiian descent, they helped with rewriting the Hawaiian characters' dialogue in colloquial dialect and added Hawaiian slang. Leland's Dick extended into three sequel films and three TV series and is considered one of Disney Animation's few great successes during their post-Renaissance era in the 2000s. Taste Buds, I ask you this. As I said, Lilo and Stitch has a style, animation, humor all on its own. What separates this movie from some of the Disney classics and even some of the Disney movies of its own era? I feel like it it eschews having to be epic all the time while still showing that it's capable. It's interesting that like it starts off in like the intergalactic oh, federation yeah. or whatever. And so it's Dense so... sci-fi lore immediately. Yeah, it's so big. It's so huge. But then it's so quickly get scaled all the way down to this this you know one small family on a small island and that re- sort of like relaxed easygoing feeling i think just makes it feel so different from movies that are about kings and queens and mm-hmm. princesses princesses yes princesses i read that uh like you sort of hinted around like uh, michael eisner uh ceo at the time was like what if we had smaller scale movies? Yeah. And, what if this didn't always cost so much? <laughs> clearly a way of saying these are expensive and they're not making any money. And I got to say, just like going off of what Greg said, the memorable parts of the movie are the non-expensive, non-epic right. parts of the movie. The it's only... not the spaceship chase in the end. No, the first 15 minutes and the last 30 minutes are the worst parts, I think. And the sort of there are montages in the second act. But it, you could sort of also look at the second act as one hour-long montage that was incredibly enjoyable because the stakes were set, but not mm. epic. Not, like, world-shatteringly epic. And I was very appreciative of that. What's interesting about Eisner's take, it, it both in budget and in style, is they, throughout this era, they pointed to Dumbo, which was after the budget-blowing Snow White uh, and Cinderella and a couple others, they're like, Fantasia. can we just make something for super cheap? And so Dumbo was like that. And so this was very similar. And that's the same reason Chris Sanders, coincidence, not not he wasn't like, oh, Dumbo did this. But he was like, I don't like the style of backgrounds anybody's doing anymore. I'm going to watercolor like they did in Dumbo. I think that changed so much, though. And I got this like feeling watching the first bit of it, especially once we get to Hawaii. And... I cannot believe how much was built on this feeling. Maybe I like set myself up to just think of things like this, but not only does not this not feel like other Disney movies at the time, this feels like a Warner Brothers movie. Like they created a character to be indestructible, inflammable, mm-hmm. like to to go through all of the shit that every Looney Tune does. Yes. And then it was sort of animated in that style, edited in that style. Right, where like we would just wait for the huge crashes right. and the, the the explosions and stuff, and then we would move on to the point where there's one point at the end where this is all in my head, and Stitch falls from a plane, a spaceship, onto the top of a volcano, and then bounces off all the way uh-huh. down volcanoes. <laughs> That's not Disney. We're not watching right. Disney at that point. We're this is like the Disney's first feature length Looney Tune, and I think that that added new blood, that added like new freshness is what separates this movie and sort of makes it the classic that it is. 
I think it helps. So Chris Sanders, who was one of the directors, he Stitch had lived in his head since 1985 when he tried to pitch it as a kid's book and it didn't, nobody wanted it yeah. because why would you want to read about Stitch? Yeah. When you could see him. Still pictures of Stitch. That's great. So when they're like, hey, we're going to make cheap movies and tapped the two directors, he was like, I'm finally bringing Stitch into the world. <laughs> and so I, th- I think that he's a gremlin. You said Looney Tunes. Oh, yeah. I guess gremlins are also very Looney Tunes, but that felt, he felt so Spike or uh, whatever the evil gremlin in Gremlins 2 was. Yeah, he, it, he totally feels like a gremlin or like a, a weird sort of like twisted koala. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, Joe Dante is the director of both the Gremlins movies, and he is raised by Looney Tunes. Like, he is yes. basically always bringing Looney Tunes to life. He literally made Looney Tunes back in action. So uh, I think all of these are feeding each other. And because Lilo and Stitch was not a princess movie. Like, it was not... We're going to take on this epic of literature that right. w- that we don't even have to pay for because it's public domain. Um, nobody gave a fuck. Like, all right, go f- do what you want, you know. And it seems and like it- almost self consciously set in a cartoon. Like for a one one big like a lot of Disney cartoons, they don't feel at the end of the day like that the setting is supposed to be a, mm-hmm. a cartoon. But in this, and I'll give you a for instance, like. Uh, if somebody just like puts on a disguise, even if they're like an alien creature, as long as it's like a trench coat and a hat, yeah, they're yeah, hidden or a wig. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a woman at a uh, or an alien, a one-eyed alien at a restaurant or luau. He clearly only has one eye as an, and is like a wig. yellow. <laughs> yeah, and the, all the servers like the one thing though. The one thing that I don't think Disney has ever done, or di- it doesn't feel Disney, but it feels very Warner Brothers, is when there's a picture of Elvis shown, it's a picture of Elvis. Yeah. That yes. is so crazy. It The watercolors mixed with newer cell animation mixed with some live action editing in there and very little CGI because CGI costs too much in O2, so they weren't allowed to use it. Uh, except for, I think, the ship fight at the end it was supposed to be a jumbo jet. And the one time they went to the city because cities were too expensive, which is why they picked uh, Hawaii. Uh, the one time they went to the city, but nine 11 had just happened. So they're like, well edit that shit out. So they were allowed. They thought people once. maybe didn't want to see a jumbo jet just flying willy nilly around a city. Yeah. Uh, and so they're like, well now it is a spaceship and it's around a mountain. Can't get mad about flying to mountains. Can you? <laughs> Did it take you out of it though? When the budget, force them to just hold toys and you could see fingers in the frame well no because at that point because of the th- the real pictures of elvis i was like you guys do what you want this is wild <laughs> <laughs> this is a multimodal presentation you know mike what i was thinking because sometimes on another show that you're on superhero show show you'll have to leave and then other characters mm. will come on at the very end of the show yes. and sometimes they sound like stitch do you have a stitch oh Oh, I didn't say this is my first time ever seeing this movie, and I think I have a new favorite Disney movie. By the way, <laughs> I fucking love this. I had a beatific childlike grin on my face the whole movie. Um, oh, hobble, Yeah, I sort of I figured that was coming. Is it because this is your marriage? You're watching your marriage on screen, Lilo. And yes, Jay. and also because uh, my wife ha- has a very good stitch that is around the house often, and so my impression is just an impression of her, just like everybody's. George H. W. is just Dana Carvey. Uh, and then to find out that Lilo is not Lindsay Lohan was not Do you know when but... you Google, even on IMDb, that it'll first take you to Lindsay Lohan, and you're like, no, I clearly mean the thing called Lilo. <laughs> <laughs> what um, are you doing? I, I, 
the other thing too is that in Disney movies of all eras, I would say they all have a sense of humor, and it's mm-hmm. not the Marvel sense of humor, but it's a similar sense of humor to each other. All the Disney movies, mm-hmm. and it's not funny. It's not like funny, funny. Like no. you might laugh because you're in a theater with a bunch of people and Lumiere, you know, or uh, Tarzan said something silly. This movie, and it's because of the Looney Tunes of it, the the timing, the editing, the structure. Uh-huh. This movie is laugh out loud funny multiple times. Yeah, and that's the, it. Reminds me the most out of all of Disney's canon. Another one that like was the opposite had such a hard hard eye on it, and it had a rework was Emperor's New Groove. Mm-hmm. They are so funny in ways that no other Disney movie are, because this one net it was always under the radar. That one was so under the radar it never worked. So people were exhausted and sick of it, and so they st- once they had a re edit, they're like, I don't give a shit anymore. Do whatever you want. I mean, I remember. 10 years after Emperor's New Groove came out, people were like, did Disney just release this to home video? And we didn't know about it. Like, <laughs> it was, there was no ads for it. Like, it yeah. stunk at the box office. And then people heard that David Spade was in it and they were like, no, no. thank you. Uh, Lost and Found 2? I don't think so. <laughs> A, another part that I feel like is different tonally is, and feels older Disney to me, is New Disney lost a lot of the mel- melancholy. And to me, like Bambi and Dumbo and Fox and the Hound are so gosh dang depressing. And I think the ba- the Looney Tunes is really balanced by the fact that these two sisters, one of which is like 20, one of which is like four, have lost their parents. And and also like the very uh, economic realities of actually living in Hawaii mm-hmm. are present underneath everything. And that, I, I think it, it's like, Kids aren't going to notice that stuff, but it feels like the laughs are heightened because you're laughing and whistling through the graveyard style. Plus, at that point, dude, we were so used to not just Disney, but all kids there having one to two dead parents. Like, yeah. it's just how it worked. And I'm still not exactly sure why, but I know it do- why. It does give you parents that. Parents ruined adventure. It, it, yeah, it gives you that sadness to start with. It gives you that pathos to start with. And then uh, we have to figure out what the. We're already in an extraordinary situation. And also. Right. I, it's it's a literal death of the parents, but childhood is a figurative death of the parents. You go out into the world and you don't have their leadership there all the time, and you have to forge your own identity. And so, like, there is something that's dying as a as a, a growing up. And when you start telling your own story, your parents have to die, even if it's not literal. And so that's why I think it happens so much in kids' stories because they it's it's mirroring to kids that going out into the world and forging their own identity. See, I get that part for when both parents are dead, but so many had one parent die, which I I just think is character writing is hard. Yes. And it's easier if we cut half the parents and then they have something to deal with. And they're not ballsy enough to kill both. Just which I was both. when I moved out. A lot <laughs> of times though, enough Disney movies, guys. When the one when the one parent dies, the other one disappears into their mm-hmm. grief into or, the bottle. or becomes changed a lot. And so they kind of losing one is experientially a lot like losing both or they disappear into their superhero costume uh as they go try to save the other one number one superhero saint canard i'm talking about darkwing duck (laughs) (laughs) let's get dangerous and take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna dig into the setting taste buds sci-fi has long used aliens to make a point about colonialism with hawaii as a setting it's hard not to make that connection here but is the movie really trying to say anything about colonialism, or is a group of Disney employees wanting to go and live in Hawaii for a year? I don't know if it's trying to say anything about it, but I think 
you kind of can't bring up the conversation. You can't bring up the movie or you can't watch the movie without kind of thinking about it because Stitch is this lovable war machine. Uh-huh. Um and kind of like USA. And he shows up and like the movie is at pains to show that the people who come and visit the island are kind of like aliens to mm. Lilo anyway she takes pictures of them they don't really say anything she kind of treats them like they're aliens which they are everyone that comes to hawaii comes from somewhere else but it just it seems like almost like what if things hadn't broken so bad between hawaii and the first white people that like Mm. showed up what if instead of wanting to conquer they had found a way to be lovable or something i don't know it just it felt like there's too many connections it not to feel like something is there and a, a character that I think gives nuance to this child's animation thing about a war-loving alien uh, is Pleakley is the one who speaks all the aliens like, well, we should protect Earth, kind of like how we're all like, well, we should protect Hawaii. But the one who cares the most about it is a, like, feckless, weak... Bureaucratic. Bureaucratic, like, it's like, okay, but if you care too much, you're going to be obliquely about it. Like, yeah, and the thing he that. cares about is mosquitoes, right? Which he has no, like, personal contact with until the movie starts, and which right. he learns that he actually does not like because they're miserable. Just he seems like... Mosquitoes are things that flood in, suck you dry, and then yep. leave. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it is this one of those things, like, you do a draft, and then you realize it, so you pick it up, or th- there's just so much of white colonialism in Hawaii in everybody's DNA, so this just oozed out of it unintentionally. Look, I think that in 2022, we should be so, so stoked that they hired Tia Carrere and Jason Scott Lee not just to do voices, but to help them with the dialogue. I think that yes, that's, isn't that amazing? That's that brilliant is, yeah. and progressive and maybe more than, like, more credit that we can give your average 2002 movie. Um, did the artist just want to go and study Hawaii? Probably. It's not our job to... It, it, that's uninteresting if that's the case. Uh, right. What we're left with, though, is some confusing things as to, you know, Lilo specifically loving these tourists, like Greg said, and then loving this alien, making sure this alien comes in, with never uh, any shit going... Stitch gets screamed at for destroying everything. None of the tourists ever do. The one fat guy loses his ice cream at one point, but that's uh, about the worst that happens. He just can't eat his mint chip. Not at one point, Ryan. Uh, multiple Not points. just at one point. And the we real do tragedy get, of this movie we do is get a little, sunburnt man. We do get a little bit of that like economic colonialism, though, right? Oh, yeah. With like, um, uh, Nani going like from place to place. It's like, it gets almost like... I know it's like first thought stuff, but it like almost gets a little white lotusy, like the way that she like there's no place for her in her home anymore because all these people have come and displaced her. She can't like find anywhere to be on the island because it's, it's too expensive to live in her own home anymore. That, that and it's not that like white people are coming in and taking or you know the what is, what is uh news radio from Insomnia column the lower forty eight. There's not. Lower 48s coming in to take those jobs. It's just that in non-tourist seasons, like that's basically what the jobs are there right. for. Is that we become a giant tourist trap, and so and you know somebody from outside the island comes and says this part of the beach now is right in front of this hotel, and so it belongs to this hotel. Mm-hmm. And it's like someone from somewhere else does that and tells you that the the beach that you grew up five minutes away from suddenly is like not open to you anymore and that must just be the most 
devastating feeling. But what like, does that have to do with colonialism? And it's made even more manifest that somebody not from the island tells Nani she cannot raise her little sister. Yeah. And, I mean, because it's not up to the standards of this government bureaucracy. At the end, the Galactic Federation, which seems to involve all planets but Earth, comes out and says, all right, now Hawaii can be the prison for this alien. Like, right. we're also going to dictate what Hawaii is. So, the, yeah, I mean, because it's a kid's movie and not really about this, the movie doesn't, like, have a, a, a neat answer. But, you know, like, they, they, the creative forces went to Kauai to, like, study it. And one thing that you notice when you go to Hawaii is that, like, you turn on the radio and people talk openly about Hawaiian independence. And they talk mm-hmm. openly about how, like, we kind of are not cool with all these people who are not from here always being around here and dictating what our lives are like. So, like, you can't just go to Hawaii and not be aware of that. You're in contact right. with it kind of, like, as soon as you get there. And so I don't think even if they didn't decide to do this, like it's going to express itself through you because it changes you to go to Hawaii and hear that stuff. I mean, and Nani's main job that we see here at the longest, which is only for a scene, but still the longest is a job where she, as a Hawaiian has to go and act more Hawaiian. She has to Hawaiian yeah. it up, be performatively right. Hawaiian for the people. We only really see when she is a server at a luau, we really only see her dealing with Jungo and Pleakley. The uh-huh. two aliens. Jumba. Jumba. Jabba with an Jumba, M, Ryan. Jumba and Pleakley. But they are rude-ass White Lotus customers, just like any of the other yeah. white people would be if they were in the scene as well. They are dressed very similar to uh, Nedry and Dachshund from Jurassic Park. Right. I mean, the whole the whole alien races, they all have an extremely martial aspect yes. to them. Like the kind of... I To say fascistic is probably a little bit strong but like why is a scientist wearing a coat with epaulets like even the scientist looks like a warrior and that that's like his dress uniform that he wears all the time so like this stuff is not something that we're like wish casting into the movie it feels like the movie it just doesn't like tie it all together and and really say much about it in the end i don't think i think it kind of just puts it out there almost like to give kids something to kind of consider and it's it's well, using symbolism, right? It has to use the the most basic things in society to get us to understand its message, right? So, yeah. like, uh, we want to think of this person as a scientist, but a specific kind of scientist, lab coat, mm-hmm. but, like, militaristic, you know? And so I understand all of these shortcuts, these symbolistic shortcuts that the, the writers and the filmmakers are using, but then you got to, like, but why are these shortcuts? Why do these shortcuts exist, you know? Like, yeah. this is all foundational stuff of let's send them there let's send the alien to the alien place and what what, what i like is that that trip to hawaii definitely changed it is because i, I forget the original city it was going to be like new york or la and they were told that's too expensive to draw <laughs> uh, <laughs> well but labor the, and union you know unions labor union yeah, yeah. You, i mean the further away it is from L.A. proper, the more you're going to have to pay the artists. Listen, union. if we hire these people, we're going to have to pay them a living wage. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, why they uh, should always draw Toronto. Ohana, <laughs> Tor- which means Toronto family, drawn for New York, <laughs> uh, was not part of the script at all until they went to do like land studies. And then the tour guide was just like talking about Hawaii to them. And that clearly made a fucking impact on Chris Sanders and co. Because that became the whole point of the movie. The Ohana And at thing. least in episode 114 <laughs> of Lilo and Stitch, the TV show, it also comes up there. My <laughs> guess is that c- phrase comes up in every episode of the TV show. 
but I mean, yeah, that I was... think it's probably like they're kind of like right at the point of resolution for every episode. They're like, well, you know what you forgot there? Ohana. It means family. But, what's also, it doesn't just mean family. That's Olive Garden means family. Ohana <laughs> it, is specifically extended family, like your chosen family. Oh, that's So nice. it's even more complicated than just Ohana means family. Do you guys also think it's not a coincidence that um, Ohana sounds like Kohana, Corona, Co- Corona, and that's what means family oh in Fast gosh. and the Furious? It's not a coincidence. Like Lilo and Stitch, Fast and Furious. Oh shit! Hobbs Lilo and Fast Stitches. <gasps> it's all connected. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have to talk about the setting. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, more. Hola, Filterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/YourPopFilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, You can pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp. He's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, You can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Taste Buds, the original story of Lilo and Stitch had an alien gangster escaping his home planet and landing on Earth. But the filmmakers decided it was hard to get people to root for a criminal. They changed Stitch to a newborn clone, a science experiment gone right. How does this one little tweak change the message of the movie? It makes it a little more formulaic, I have to say, because like um, very friendly war machine is kind of like, that's pretty tropey. Having it's like Frankenstein. Spa- space gangster? Yeah, it's, 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 it's Frankenstein. It's, I mean, it's specifically it's Johnny Five. It's Iron Giant. Um, mm. There was one recently about like a, uh, a motorcycle that a kid finds that Hell is like yeah. made for war, but he befriends. Um, and should, so, should we be talking about that? Whatever that is, <laughs> yeah, that sounds dope. <laughs> yeah, dude. But space, like space gangster who befriends little girl. I don't know that. To me, that that's sounds like, like a uh, mid-career Martin Lawrence movie that I'd be super into. <laughs> <laughs> I would only accept it if he was full 1940s noir, like the suit. Ah, the, yeah, lots of sheen. <laughs> I got a pizza here from robbery homicide. She's got games up to here. I think though, what's so important and the the order of things happening in the creation of a movie and any movie is crazy, but especially this one of like, oh, we didn't even know what Ohana was until 10 seconds before it aired in theaters. Like, yeah, the <laughs> we were rewriting the script. <laughs> but um, the the aspect of him being a clone means that he's not ditching another family to have right. this newfound oh, family. Oh, okay, yeah. And I think that helps a lot that he is coming from nothing and that like that breaks our heart is, you know, like how many orphan stories do we have as well? It's the war machine is part of it is too, but like the, there were no parents, you know. The, his only parent is uh, a guy in a coat with beakers. Probably And that's so important cuz she doesn't have parents. Right. Uh, yeah, okay. The scientist was probably taking one beaker and pouring it into another beaker and then Pouring them back and forth, which is how science works. That's kind of hot. Designed him in his trial. He was he designed him to be an indestructible, unstoppable, yeah, 
Master terrorist. of Chaos. I mean, like, yeah. the, the, not to put too fine a point on it, he was designed to be a terrorist. He's supposed to go and terrorize and mess up a city. Did you guys see in that first scene when they introduced Stitch to the Galactic Federation, the date on the calendar was January 6th? <gasps> no yeah, way. It was supposed to be a whole Where would right Stitch there. What are the been? chances of that? It's just Stitch and Jay Johnston, man. January Stitch. <laughs> Stitch. That's hard. Uh, sometimes I wish I could give points. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then I I think that the ultimate climax of the movie, despite multiple fallings from spaceships, like every <laughs> every character falls from a different spaceship three times in the last thirty minutes, is um, Stitch saying, uh, "I figured out what family was. They're my found family, and yeah, I'm ready to get handcuffed and yep. go to prison." Hey guys, I can talk now because uh, the plot needs me to. <laughs> also, uh, indestructible, inflammable, and way smarter than anybody else. And what being smart means is developing language at the right time in the movie. I got to say, isn't it the... I think it's the worst when the alien finally learns how to speak in sentences. I don't mind Mm. at first when the alien is just learning how to speak a few words. But by the time they turn the corner and they're just conversing like a person, I'm done with them. When when I get my Stitch tattoo... in words around it, it's going to clearly mark this is the part of the movie where he cannot fully talk yet, so therefore is cuter. Could you imagine if, if if Chewbacca suddenly started conversing in human speech, we would turn our hearts away from him. Hello. <laughs> yeah, we would be done with him. We'd be like, no, Chewbacca, get out of here. We don't want to hear from you anymore. I know, but like the cool thing about the original movies and not the episode nine when he so clearly should have died was that he was the eighth character. That's where Chewbacca belongs, not the number one character where you, you mm. get so freaked out that you have to give, you have to make him say, I'll be right here. <laughs> you could just been like, Stitch here. You want <laughs> Chewie to say that? Yeah. That guy, <laughs> that like, guy clearly like wanted to do that voice, right? Like as yeah. much as he had the character in mind for a long 100%. time, he's like, I really he walked wa- around the kitchen and just be like, Oh, I'm out of Fruity Pebbles. Like, and it's oh, kind of a basic ass voice. Yeah, yeah like if Mike can done. do it, yes. It's, yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> that's, the only voice I can do is Meatwad, and this is just slightly <laughs> more intelligent Meatwad. <laughs> this guy's no Bobcat Goldthwait. What do you think of the <laughs> fact that Stitch has become the Disney stand-in for the Emperor? That's I like. I think he's more popular now as like on Disney memorabilia as Emperor Palpatine than he ever was. Wait, really? In, like, what does that me? mean? I've not seen. What does that mean? I've not seen any of this. Oh, because like all of the all the Disney characters since they bought Star Wars, they all like the all the Star Wars characters have some Disney analog. So like Goofy okay. is always always at Darth Vader, and Mickey's always Luke Skywalker. Goofy always and, gave me Darth Vader vibes when I was a kid. Yeah. Isn't that, that true? Sense. Isn't that true? That one really well, works. If you've seen a Goofy movie, you know there are daddy issues between Max and Goofy. Max should clearly be Luke Skywalker, but I know he's not as famous as Mickey Mouse. Dude, you know what I figured out just today? I was looking at the uh, cover for uh, a very Goofy movie, and I was like, damn, Goofy has like a fucking son. I am such a goofier person than Goofy is. Like, I have no kid. Goofy, like, yeah. fucking is, like, raising a child. Well, but I think that there's a lot of Max raising Goofy, if you know what I mean. Yes. Okay, and yeah. I, I don't want to be this guy. If you're getting close to the text movie, of the film. And an extremely goofy movie. There's no a very goofy movie. Also, incredible Mike, do me sequel a favor, naming. you just shut the hell up? <laughs> <laughs> incredible sequel naming. Instead of Empire Strikes Back, if Star Wars 2 was called Extremely Star Wars, just throw <laughs> extremely into the title. Extremely Godfather instead of Godfather Part 2. <laughs> Whoa, just how Godfather is this? <laughs> yeah, that's extremely. a little too Godfather. How many oranges is he going to fit in his mouth in this one? Uh, did you guys hear about the uh, the uproar on Twitter a couple years ago about this movie? No. no. Um, 
so there there was a group of people who were saying that this was the single worst Disney movie of all time. No way. And the reason they were uh, saying that's that. That's The Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> is there a sequel to that? What would that be called? The Extremely Great Mouse Detective. Wow, he is extremely great at being a mouse detective. That's The worst Disney movie. movie is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Continue. Wow. What? That has Esmeralda, <laughs> my wife and girlfriend, at the same time. You shut your mouth. <laughs> um, they said that it's the, the reason why this is the worst Disney movie is because uh, Lilo is a fucking cunt who never is reprimanded for how she acts. Yeah. And, she's a boss bitch. And people... <laughs> freaked out and there was a couple things that happened one uh it's crazy how it's always the characters of color who get this mm. and how there's no disney child who ever acts normal or right. like like well the whole point she's a disney, four-year-old orphan while they're making millions of dollars is to say hey freaks it's okay to be a freak freaks <laughs> as long as you give us money what also came out is uh the amount of autistic people saying how much they relate to lilo in this movie the like how she handles other people when she's that age um, just like oh, wow. what it's like to make friends when you're that age. It's like they all related to him. And I just uh, to go out on a limb and say all kids movies must show well-behaved kids. That that makes Lilo and Stitch the worst movie of all time. That's did Bean Dad say that? I'm that pretty like a real Bean Dad thing Dad. to say. It was I'm pretty sure Dad. this whole movie is based on the episode of The Simpsons where Bart finds that lizard, mm-hmm. Bart Jr., and raises it. So I, I think that if we don't criticize that episode of The Simpsons, and Bart Simpson was never criticized for being rude. Is that the episode where they had to bring cougars in to kill the lizards and then gorillas <laughs> to kill them? And then the city was overrun with gorillas? Uh, but I mean, like, I guess that's true if you only watch one scene where Lilo attacks her friend. And still, Nani I, is always yelling at her to get her act together. But like where she, the, the, the scene where Lilo says, I understand if you have to leave. Like, uh-huh. I know why you act the way you do, talking yeah. about Stitch, but also talking about herself. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. You two cried. Shut the fuck up. He's, oh, yeah. got, he's got no parents, and she knows exactly what that's like. He's, he needs to be loved for who he is, not what he is. And she's not mad at him for that. She's accepting <laughs> of him. She's like, I know why you destroy everything. And the most Spend toddler rounds. thing that Stitch does is, uh, I'm going to build a perfect... Uh, uh, replication of San Francisco only to be Godzilla in that town. Oh man, but he was so happy when he did that. (laughs) Yeah, because it's the coolest. I will say again, speed round. Lilo and Stitch form a dramaturgical dyad, but if you had to choose one, are you a Stitch bitch or a Lilo lad? Lilo lad, for sure. Lilo steals the show, man. You you show up for Stitch, but you stay for Lilo. Yeah, I think that... um, Watching, like, she is the, I guess, Dean Martin to his Jerry Lewis, if I could pick the <laughs> most modern <laughs> reference possible. Um, and, like, Relevant, the, yes. uh, the goofy stuff is funny, but watching the reactions to the goofy stuff is funnier. I think when you're a child, you're a stitch bitch, but then when you're no longer a child, you put your stitch bitch <laughs> things away. <laughs> As the Bible told us. The voice, the head, the earrings. Does Cobra Bubbles look like a bitch? <laughs> they they could have just, like, they don't have to make him look like Ving Rhames, right? Like, they could have drawn no. him. Laws of animation, Greg. They had to make him look like <laughs> Yeah, they had to. Why did he not have a Band-Aid on the back of his head? <laughs> Lazy animators. And at some point, there, there couldn't have been a briefcase that he opens up and is just enamored by the light inside. It's, again, this is lazy references. I think you could have gone so much more. If you're not our age, though, it's sort of hard to explain movies like Pulp Fiction, how they're 
legally had to be a reference in yes. everything that came out over the next 20 the, years. Mm-hmm. We're just getting out of it. And now people are popping in all their hateful eight references. Having Stitch in that kennel felt like a pretty dark reference to The Thing. That was that The Thing. A passing one, or can the movie help us understand this? <laughs> I mean, it, think of how his he's the same thing as The Thing, right? He like just shows up. He can like shapeshift. He seems to be the perfect killing machine. But the way those dogs were pressed into the corner, uh-huh. they very clearly were referencing that very messed up scene from The Thing, <laughs> where The Thing like explodes all over a bunch of dogs who are freaking out in real life. The one thing that we missed is that the dogs are scared just because of how Stitch looks. That's judgmental. What we needed to see is the dog that Stitch had exploded right before the camera yes. cuts to that scene. <laughs> By the way, those dogs are the only like creatures in the entire movie who realize that Stitch is not a dog. Yeah. Even though Stitch looks yeah. nothing like a dog, never acts like a dog. <laughs> well, that's cartoon rules. Yeah, that's exactly. That's like the, why this is a more cartoony cartoon than most Disney cartoons. Also, is it like uh, what Nani has to do at her job is performative Hawaiian. He's... Mm-hmm pushing in his arms to be performative dog it's, it's all the Very same true. i loved when he was just like look i got two other arms and a spine and antennae see how i'm not a dog i know i was very dog like before hold on but what he, kind of dog is this you weren't you were does, a giant wingless bat bro you were not a dog at all does this movie argue that kids do better with responsibilities given to them definitely i Le- think we we ought to have Le- kids that still work in the factories i don't know why they stopped that <laughs> also, where the all factories go? <laughs> Bring it back, Biden. <laughs> but yeah, that you know, once uh, once she has the responsibility of raising up little Stitch, she she gets her own act together, and that's kind of what Nani's going through too, right? Because she's twenty, like uh, mourning the loss of her parents and trying to no longer like have a little sister, but instead have basically a daughter. There's not enough said about like her terrible life her ruined childhood because Mm -hmm. she is sort of still a child but that scene where after stitch leaves and then lilo comes downstairs the next day and nani's just in there drinking coffee tears in her eyes knowing that lilo is about to be taken away you're fucking 19 and this is what you're dealing with this is your wednesday morning that's movie rules (sighs) and finally it's heavily hinted did cobra bubbles and the grand councilwoman bone in 1973 (laughs) i I think so yeah yeah dude they got freaky did I you guys read that? Uh, th- the way that they came up with all the aliens is to just redesign every Disney character of all time. What really? I didn't really uh, think about it until somebody stood up and an alien looked exactly like Tigger. And yeah, I saw the Tigger oh. one, uh, and then also like if you think about it, even Stitch just kind of looks like Oswald. Um, they're Oswald. like their original cartoon oh, rabbit. Oh yeah, 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 yeah they're or, or, rabbit. Yeah, is that the guy they traded for Al Michaels? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? For Al Michaels? Is yeah. that what you said? Explain that, Ryan. Uh, Disney Monday, had owned ABC, which had Monday Night Football. ESPN wanted Al Michaels. I think I'm getting this right. But uh, they own the rights to Oswald, the original Disney cartoon. So they traded Oswald back to Disney for the rights to Al Michaels to <laughs> announce football games. And Disney immediately started selling Oswald merchandise. Yeah. In California Adventure, there's yeah. that one kiosk right in the front. And I love it. I haven't bought anything there. Oh, as far as kiosks go, one of my favorite kiosks. It's a great kiosk. An important part of being an adult who goes to Disneyland is never buying anything, but like looking very closely at all the kiosks to see what sort of (laughs) merchandise one might buy. Man, Uh, if I was rich, I would buy the stupidest shit. (laughs) 
if you're going to check out a kiosk, the way to do it is to make sure that your hands are clasped behind your back or yes. covering your fanny pack for fear of burglars. Burglars <laughs> love to prey on those who look at kiosks. <laughs> that is all the time we have. We're going to take a quick break and we can come back more. That is all the time we have to discuss Lilo and Stitch, this first of, who knows, several bonus episodes of 2002. Gangs of New York, uh, The Pianist. The, yes. Will not be discussed. <laughs> I know we didn't prepare for this, but do you guys have recommendations if you like Lilo and Stitch and want something different? You I got one off the top of your nog? Greg took mine. Just to, uh, I have to be honest, guys. I, I laughed a lot and really loved about 45 minutes of this movie. I don't think it was... I would not call this a great movie. I may not even call this a good movie. I think that the flaws sort of outweigh the the rockiness of the forced into their stakes. Still, like this was supposed to be low stakes, but still, like the last thirty minutes killed me. Uh, I think that this was all done so much better in the aforementioned by Greg, the Iron Giant, a movie Ooh. that um, is this same thing: a, a lonely kid befriends an absolute force of nature war machine (laughs) yeah alien and um doesn't have a lot of this stuff so iron giant greg i'm gonna go with also the aforementioned by me uh sort of like (laughs) from the forgotten collection of disney but i think a superior movie to this is emperor's new groove emperor's new groove is so funny so much funnier than i think any other disney movie is and it's different and yet it kind of has the same maybe like a little bit lower stakes or it's not as popular or it just doesn't feel like the same pressures are on that movie that are on like everything else that, that Disney does. If it's, if it's led by a Disney princess and it's just really neat. And it's got a lot of, it's got a look that is like all its own. Um, So check it out. David Spade and Patrick Warburton at the top of their game. Patrick Warburton, it like delivers probably four or five, like literal laugh out loud, funny lines. And then the, the the bad guy is like the most likable, enjoyable, least effective bad guy of any movie of all time. <laughs> I feel like you know how like I knew that Mike had a stitch based on his voices. I feel like I should have a putty, right? I feel like oh yes. yeah, for I should sure. have a. Pa- I'm gonna start working on a Patrick well, Warburton. It's a great Ryan. It's a great D and D character voice because it's just so <laughs> fun to do. It makes you want to role play. When your voice always sounds like putty, Ryan. I don't know if you have to search for a putty. <laughs> I'm uh, uh, trying to just uh, sound normal. <laughs> Mine is Little Monsters, the 1980-something. Wow. Fred Savage, Howie Mandel. Uh, another weird little kid befriends a blue monster. <laughs> and <laughs> young Mike loved that shit. I have seen that movie more times than I have seen Citizen Kane. I rented that and Wizard so often as oh, a child. Oh, dude. And then just haven't seen it either. Yeah. Into, I was, yeah, we were a savage family. <laughs> Both in how we treated each other and the things we rented. (laughs) All right, that is our Lilo and Stitch show. Coming up this season, there will be Catch Me If You Can, Russian Art Chicago, and so much more. Until then, keep watching those bubbles.
well. That is very, very funny. Or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter. Email contacts at your pop filter. Hey, everybody, keep watching them movies. <laughs>